I don't know if you can feel the significance in those words, but it's like as we're singing them, they just seem to be become, becoming increasingly weighty with the presence of God. You know that we are the ones that are bringing the presence of God into the earth. When you come into a room, when you come into a church, when you come into a, a meeting of any kind where people are gathered in his name, the dimension of his presence that's there, the degree of his presence that's there, it's not determined in heaven. It's not determined by the will of God. It's not determined by what God would like to see. It's determined by the passion and the hunger and the desperation of those in the room. The, those that have the faith to call on his name. Those that have the ability to say, I believe that you are. And I glorify you. I say you are worthy to be praised. And as we say those words with faith and passion and hunger, that God finds a place that he can express that presence. He says, I'm going to fill that void right now. I'm going to fill. I'm going to meet your desire. You have drawn near to me, and I'm going to draw near to you. So welcome this morning to Spruce Grove Community Church. And as we worship him today, not only is it an opportunity for us to advance our faith, but it's an opportunity for us to serve our neighbors and our counterparts that are in the room and across the street and those who don't know him because the amount of the presence of God that's in the earth at any given moment is is, uh, determined by us. We are the light of the world. And so just think about that, that as you draw upon heaven this morning, that heaven comes down. He said, this is eternal life, that you may know him. So we're not waiting till we get to heaven to know God. We're not waiting till we get to heaven to experience heaven. We're not waiting till we get to heaven for eternal life. We have eternal life right now. Right now, in the interface between your worship and His presence, eternal life is manifesting. So welcome, if you're not a member of Spruce Grove Community Church, if you're just visiting, we're just uh, so glad you're here with us. So feel free to experiment with God. Feel free to shout. Feel free to lift your hands. Feel free to, to express your passion for God. Ah. Amen. Just as we're here in this place, I want to encourage you. You know, I, I just began to feel like there are things in our lives that keep us from believing this. And yet the declaration we're called to make, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop him? And, you know, for some of us, what flashes in our minds is moments when our journey was halted or moments when things didn't come to pass the way we thought they should come to pass. I want to, you know, that saying, it says it's not over until the fat lady sings. All right. I don't know if that's incorrect to say these days, but it's not over. That's the point. It's not over until it's all finished. You know, there was a man named Nebuchadnezzar. 
And uh, at one point, he had some understanding of God, but he exalted himself, and he looked on the things that God had used him to build, and he said, isn't this Babylon the great which I have created? And suddenly, God began to resist him in a powerful way, and his life began to crumble. His, his faculties began to fall apart. His capacity to stay you know, stable emotionally departed from him. And for seven years... For seven years, he crawled in the, you know, in the fields like an animal, and his, his nails grew, and he, his hair grew, and he was nothing but a beast, really. And probably a lot of people said, yeah, look at that. He's done. He's finished. It's over. It's over. It's finished. But suddenly, there came a moment when that thing that was on his life broke, And when that thing broke, he came out of the delusion. He came out of those things. And I want to tell you that there are things in your life that are in seclusion. There are things in your life that are in hibernation. They're being resisted by God. Maybe there's people in your life that are in a place, you think they're like animals. They've fallen from the glory. They've fallen from their purpose. They've fallen from where they were called to be. I'm not sure I can say this with the same boldness. I'm telling you, it's not over. Even in your own lives, there were things that you did that were powerful. There were things that were that. This is going to define me. This is my ministry. This is my role in the body of Christ. But it went into hibernation. But I'm telling you, it's going to come back. And when it comes back, it's going to come back with humility. It's going to come back with strength. It's going to come back with power. It's going to come back with something of God on it that wasn't there before. So don't say, don't say it's finished when it's not finished. Come on, who can stop the Lord Almighty? I feel like God was wanting to ask us a question. Are you willing to be my workmanship? You know, we have this dichotomy in the earth right now where we're singing songs like this and we know... Nothing can stand against our God. Except, you know what? He is seated in heaven and we are here on earth. And it says in the Psalms, it says, The heavens, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth He's given to the sons of men. I feel that question. He say, listen, do, can you be, will you be my workmanship? And while we want to say, yes, Lord, we... We don't really fully understand your plan. We don't understand when there are setbacks in our life. We don't understand when there isn't victory. But here's the, here's the thing I feel God wants to say to us today. He said, listen, I've come to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so what does that mean then when the gates of hell seem to prevail against a part of the church? Well, it goes back to this. It goes back to... The invention of the light bulb, you know, Thomas Edison, and he tried to build a light bulb and he failed and he tried to build and he failed and he tried to build and he failed and he tried to build and he failed. What he discovered is that the version that he was building was not the right one. He knew, he knew conceptually, he knew by the principles that no, this is going to work, this has to work. The, 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 the laws, the rules, the revelation that's in front of me says this is going to happen. But I keep getting it wrong. And God is saying, listen, I am building my church, but unlike Thomas Edison, he had parts that didn't have a will of their own. 
And he was the only factor. He, was, he would bend that wire and he would make the, the glass how he wanted to. But I have a people who have to yield to every single part. When I want to bend you that particular way, if you don't want to bend, you don't bend. So he says, I'm building my church, but I need a people that are volunteers in the day of my power. I need a people who are willing to be my workmanship. I have a plan. I have a a vision of what it is I'm building as a church. And that expression cannot be defeated. Cannot be defeated. So we're in this process whether we're not the first generation, not the second generation, not the 20th generation, not the 50th generation of this thing. We are God's workmanship. But each one, see, God knows what he wants. It's not that he doesn't know, but he can only bring us so far within a generation. But I'm telling you, we are coming. We are coming very close to a generation that is the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ, that is a bride without spot and without wrinkle, that is the church that is clearly built by his hand, that has said, Lord, we will be your workmanship. And so today, Lord, today, Father, we say, do this in us. Do this in us. I am willing today. Are you willing? God, I am willing today that everything in me that can be discouraged would be removed so that what cannot be discouraged will be the only thing that remains. See, that's what Hebrews 12 is all about. He said, he said, the things that can be shaken are being shaken so that you can know the difference between the thing that can be shaken and the thing that can't be shaken so that out of your heart a desire will begin to arise for that which cannot be shaken. So I'm asking you, are you tired of being shaken to the point where you're saying, God, not my will but yours be done. Not my ways but yours be done. God, I want to be your workmanship. Because I I believe that God is bringing us to a level of consecration that we've never known. A level of saying, Lord, I want your way. It's like Dr. Phil, you know, he's examining these people and they're telling how, what they like and what they think. And he says, and how's that working for you? And God is saying, you know, you keep doing things your own way. How's that working for you? You know, you keep, you keep seeing this this level of victory in your life. I want to give that to you. I want to give that to you. And so we're saying, God, we don't know where the crooked paths are. God, we don't know which ways are our ways and which ways are your ways. But we're saying today, Lord, we want to be your workmanship. As that Holy Spirit is hovering over your life, he's asking you, what do you want? You know, some of us only have 30, 40 years left in our life. What do you want for the last 20, for the last 30, for the last 40 years of your life? What do you want? Do you want what you've had or do you want something else? I'm saying, God, more, more, more of you, less of me. A few weeks ago, we were reading a part from a book where this guy was having an angelic visitation and one of the angels was sharing with him how, how they marvel at the faith of men, how they marvel at how men can come under and bow before the glory of the Lord, bow before the majesty of God, though it's largely obscured from our view. The angels are astounded. And the reason why they're so happy to serve men and serve men in their need, and to serve those who are advancing the kingdom is because they marvel 
that without seeing the fullness of the majesty of God, but by only seeing it by faith, that men are able to come under and bow their knee. And I, I'm just, I'm so thrilled with that idea. But it makes me say, Lord, I, I want to come under like never before. I want to acknowledge your majesty like never before. You know, uh, Brian Dirksen wrote a song a few years ago. It says, the greatest reward is not for those who bow later when, when every knee will bow, but for those who bow now. And so, God, we want to be those people who not in just one area of our life, who not in just one sliver of a, of a moment, one five-minute period a week do we bow our knee. But, Lord, our hearts are aligned with you, that our hearts cry out for what you want, that everything within us pants for you like the deer pants for the water. God, we want to be people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. No, God, we want to be people, God, who want to be satiated by the presence of God, who know that in you we live and move and have our being, that it's you we want, it's you we want, it's you we need, it's you we want, it's you we need. Lord, we want to draw closer to you today. God, we pray that you would align those things in our hearts. God, come on, let's cry out to God. God, God, I, I find myself wanting you and not being able to draw near. God, change those things. Change those things that don't want you. Change those things that anchor me to this earth. You know, we've talked about it a lot in this church before. But the problem with mankind is a divided heart, divided interest. And our hearts can be divided so many ways. Our loves can be divided. And we can know on the one hand, oh, this is how I should worship. This is how I should honor God. But we are sometimes more like the Pharisees, you know, where we we know the thing to say. We say it because we know it's the right thing to say, but our hearts aren't fully as engaged as we'd like ourselves to think. And God is saying, that's all right. I can fix that. I can fix that. I can fix that. If you just begin to abide in the truth, if you just begin to acknowledge the truth, I'll make your heart whole. I'll make your eyes single. I'll I'll, I'll gather together the fragmented parts of your heart and the various dissonant desires that you have in your life, and I'll bring them into alignment. I can do that if you come to me. If you cry out to me with all the strength that you can muster every day consistently, if you can do what you can, I'll do what you can do. I'll do what you can do if you do what you can. So God, we say change our hearts. God, I pray that such a pull will come. Lord, as we worship you in weeks and months to come, that such a draw, that such a fullness of a desire for heaven on earth will consume us, God, that you will be moved to come down in unprecedented ways. God, this is your plan for this region. This is your plan. This is the DNA of this region. Lovers of God, worshipers, God, who call on your name, who with faith pull down on the cords of heaven. Hallelujah. I'm going to save the rest of that for another time or later. But can you say amen? Amen. You know what? God is perfecting your faith. 
Let it be to a man according to his faith. So when you say, Holy Spirit, come, how much of the Holy Spirit comes? How many of you ever followed John Wimber years ago when he, he would go into events? And I mean, the man was, had an amazing faith. He'd just say, Holy Spirit, come. And boom, this administration of the kingdom of heaven would come into the room like nothing I'd ever seen. Do you know why it came? Because he was a man of great faith. And when he said, come, he, he said it with a faith and an agreement of heaven that God came. And so we get, we get what we actually can believe for. So God is saying, listen, I could come. I'm just working on your faith. I'm just working on the measure of heaven you're able to pull down. Because you can pull that measure into your business. You can pull it into your family. You can pull it into your home. You can pull it into your prayer life. You pull it into this assembly. And that's what he's working on. We are his workmanship. And the day is come, coming. When measures of the heaven will be coming down like waterfalls beyond what you could possibly imagine because a people of faith, a thousand John Wimbers will be gathered together in a room and begin to say, Come! 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 Come, Lord! Come, Lord! So let it be to us according to our faith. Amen? But I know there's a deluge coming that is going to flood Spruce Grove. That's going to flood this part of the country. And then every place on which our foot will will tread, it's going to come there too. That's God's plan. Let it be to us, God. Do it in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. All right. There's always time for what you love to do. You know, I was giving Ben a, uh, a hard time the other day because he's, he's, he's older, but he still loves skateboarding. So, you know, despite the fact that his business has taken off, he's got, you know, four kids, they're crazy busy all the time, he'll still squeak out an hour or two here and there to run to the skateboard park and skateboard. Now, if, if that was a rote requirement of living... All right. He would always find some reason not to be there, not to go. So what drives him is not the obligation to do that thing, but what drives him is the passion to do it, the desire to do it, the love of it. We do what we love to do. And so the kingdom of God is not about you doing what you don't want to do. Now, it might start that place. There might be a place where God says, okay, sacrifice this. Give yourself to this. Deny yourself. And there might be times of that, like this fast. You know, who really wants to go 40 days without meat or sugar or bread, right? But you may not want to, but for the love of God, because you love God, because you want more of God, you're willing to sacrifice this for this love. But you know when it gets hard? When there's no love for the thing you're supposed to be seeking. That's when it gets really hard. That's when you start resenting. Well, do we really have to worship for an hour? Do we really have to pray? Jesus, do we really have to pray for a whole, whole hour? See, the disciples, they hadn't found that joy, that experience in prayer yet. And Jesus said, could you not wait with me one hour? Well, we really like sleep. And we're tired. So God is in the business 
of changing what you want. If you're honest enough to be able to acknowledge what you really want, what you really, really want. And that's where the hard part is, right? It's like, it's like because we know what we ought to be and our sense of, you know, when we don't really understand the nature of the kingdom of God, our, 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 we're trying to be that thing that we can't be or are not because that's the good thing. Well, I need to be a lover of God. What does a lover of God look like? Let me make me a list of 10, 10 attributes of a lover of God. Okay, now I will apply myself every day to exhibit those 10 attributes. That is a a recipe for death. Because God, that's not how God's working. God God is starting with a seed inside of you. He established a beachhead in your life, a beachhead of his presence. And what he's about to do and what he's doing over the course of the years of your life is he's expanding that influence to take in more and more and more of the ground of your heart. But the question is, what's the process that he's doing that? How is he achieving that end? What, is, what are the week-to-week elements? How is, he, how is that workmanship being manifested? What are the dynamics of it? How do you know where you're at in that journey? Well, we're going to talk about some of that, maybe. But before that, uh, I was just, uh, with Wendy and I, we popped down to, to Red Deer uh, to uh, see some some folks are are putting on a conference there that we know, um, and uh, Rick Joyner was there last night and uh, yesterday morning and the night before. So we went down Friday night. I I love Rick Joyner. I love he. I think he's an amazing figure that God has brought into the body of Christ, and he's he's somebody that God is using to bring some unusual insights into the kingdom of God. Man, he said some things that just were blowing me away. He's had the benefit, and I, I haven't yet been taken up to heaven. Anybody here been to heaven, you know, in the flesh? Right? You know, I mean, when we're worshiping, I get a sense of heaven. I get a sense of the glory of God, but I've never actually gone to heaven. Well, the Lord's taken him a number of times, and on one occasion, the Lord took him for eight earth hours, you know, and so, but he was, he was describing some things about heaven, and I just want to throw this out there because I think we don't understand the splendor of what it is that we've been invited into. Uh, you know, but he was saying, listen, heaven is just so much more magnificent and diverse and beautiful than anything you could imagine. He said, I mean, the earth is great. I mean, creation is great. I, he said, when I watch those videos of planet Earth, I can't help but marvel at the greatness of God and the beauty of God and worship God as I look at these magnificent creatures, the landscape and the water and the scenery. It's like phenomenal. It's beautiful. He said, he said but, but heaven compared to that is just so much greater. He said, he said, I can't even illustrate it. It'd be like the difference between you and your shadow. As unsubstantial as your shadow, as unbeautiful, as, as vague, as opaque, as missing complexity and, and, uh, and form and shape and substance as your shadow is, that is what the earth is compared to heaven. I thought, wow. Wow. Now, when you're a young Christian, the idea of heaven is something you're trying to remember. You're trying to... You're trying to believe. You're trying to make yourself know that it's real. You're trying to, you know, sort of. I remember when I would be discouraged, and I, uh, 
uh, I would need a glimpse of heaven. The closest thing I could find was that passage in Revelations where it described Jesus. So I would go back to that passage, and I think, I think you know, I got all these trials, all these things, but look, at here's Jesus, and it starts to describe him. And I, I would try to generate this, this reality, this sense of reality. No, Jesus is more real than my problems. <coughs> and I would, I would have to do that to keep myself going in this race. That's how I encouraged myself. But now I find... But inside of me, there is this growing sense of the reality of heaven, this growing sense that heaven is not very far off. You know, it says, in him we live and move and have our being. And, and, uh, and it's, it follows the passage where he says, God has caused the nations to grope and desire him in the hopes that they would seek him, though he's not very far away. He's not very far off. So God is, heaven is very close, but I'm feeling like the reality of heaven is growing in me. And that's what God wants to do in us, that the reality of heaven is beginning to eclipse our sense of the reality of earth. Now, for some of us, that's just a creed. For some of us, that's just a doctrine. It's just, yes, heaven is more substantial than earth. I read that somewhere. But how far are we from knowing that that's a reality, from knowing that's a truth, such that we would be happy to lay down our lives if it, if it necessitated that? You know, Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He didn't have to guess about it. He wasn't wondering what was on the other side, you know, what happens when I die. He just, he just knew because he was in touch with something that was invisible, and it was tangible to him. He's, he just knew, as soon as, the second I leave this body, I am present with the Lord. And when I get there, what I experience is more real than what I've experienced here. Because reality to God is defined by longevity. And that which endures to vet to forever is what is really real. So God is introducing us to what is really real. And, uh, and it's an exciting thing. So as, as he was sharing about these visions of heaven, he began to talk about the largeness of heaven. I mean, I mean you think about the universe, right? It says, it says God holds the nation's like a drop in his hand, right? The nations. I, I have this picture I get in my heart sometime. I don't even know if it's real. I don't know. It doesn't matter if it's biblical. But I almost see in front of God this dark cube, and inside that cube is the universe. It's kind of like a, you know, a little trinket you would have on your shelf in your living room. That God's world is just so much bigger that to him, all of creation is contained in a cube that sits before him. So how big is God? (sighs) Father, I pray that our revelation of the reality of who you are, God, that you would uh, increase it, increase it. And I have a funny feeling like God is after something in our lives where in the absence of that kind of revelation, we have filled the gap with certain dogmas, with certain um, carnal versions or carnal helps that help us believe that heaven is real. And I believe that God wants to to intrude into that world. It's kind of like when I 
When, when I was get discouraged, I would go to that passage in Revelations and begin to read about Jesus. And I did it because, because that made what was disappearing from my vision more real so that I could hold on to it. And so that, that, that visual picture helped me believe in the absence of actual faith. And, and for a while, God used that to encourage me. But uh, there came a point where he said, yeah, now I, I'm not going to, this is not going to cut it for you anymore. You're going to go back to, so I started going back to that scripture and it didn't, didn't give me the heebie-jeebies like it did before. I didn't get the, you know, you know, the, the, the shivers. Whoa, God is so great. It wasn't doing it for me because I was saying, I want you to be in tune with me. I want you to know that I am without the benefit of a feeling that I am. I don't want to use a song. I don't want to use an illustration. I don't want to use a picture to help, uh, you know, shore up your belief that I am real. In other words, he's saying, listen, in your faith, in your spirit, there's a knowing inside of you that you can have that is greater than what you get through the most edifying song that somebody sings about the glory of God. He said, well, somebody can sing about something and they have a revelation about something. What you get is a second-hand revelation. And God is saying, I want to give you a first-hand revelation. I want to give you a sense of the reality of heaven so that you can say, with, as, with the same boldness that Peter did and, and, or, or Paul, that I, you know, I actually am caught. I, I, I would like to go to heaven and be closer to God. I want so badly to be, to be in God's ultimate presence, but I feel compelled to stay here for the sake of you. And he's talking to the churches. He said, you guys need me, and that's the only thing that's keeping me here. What's keeping you here? What's keeping us here? Do we have an alternative in our minds, in our hearts? Do, is, is heaven really that real? Or is it this vague belief that, you know, when I die, I sure hope this is true because it's costing me lots. And you can start there. And when we start there, you know, we believe and something enters into us. But, but I'm telling you, as that grows, it, it creates a more compelling argument, a co- more compelling reality that actually beckons to you and calls to you. Such that I was just telling somebody the other day, I think my, my, my favorite moments in life, my favorite moments of life are coming down to just a few things. And among the favorites is being with the brethren, being with believers. I don't even have to say anything. I just like being with you guys. I, I was sitting around a campfire last night looking at a few people and just enjoying being there. But I mean, I just, do you... Do you feel heaven when you are with the brethren, or do you feel hell? <laughs> well, it depends what brethren you're with. No, seriously, I love the people of God. I love the fellowship. When I, when I get around and, and I'm forced into places where I have to have uh, liaisons with people who don't know the truth, and I can't relate to them around our common union with Christ, I find it very unsatisfying. I find it just just so much lower. And it's not because, well, they're not affirming what I believe, but it's just there's something in the spirit. There's a communion. You know, we use that word for, you know, eating the bread and drinking the wine, but the communion is the interchange between the spirit of a brother and a brother who share in the same faith, in the same living reality. We are, we are around the table of fellowship, and there's a presence that knits us together. And that, that is such a beautiful thing. The other thing I love is worship, prayer. 
being in the presence of the Lord, ascending his mount, ascending his hill. That was my introduction for this message I want to share. Now, I'm not going to be too long. I just had, a, just these things have been echoing in me. I, you know, I, I don't envy the experience that others have in the sense that I feel like I'm missing out because I feel like heaven has become so substantial to me, so real, uh, it's hard to define for others. But I want to share uh, some things about the kingdom of God. Because as we were saying earlier, we have this, this challenge where God is one thing according to his word. And we sing songs that are, you know, kind of just up there in terms of uh, height of victory. You know, nothing can overcome us. You know, that nothing can stop God. And, but... You know, I venture to think that sometimes you've been felt like you've stopped, you've you've been halted, you've been you've been set aside. So this dichotomy between the challenges of faith and the victory of faith stands always in our face. And for some people, even right now, they're struggling with that. But I want you to know that what God started in you, He's going to finish. Let me say that again. What God started in you, He, He, He is going to finish. That the Holy Spirit, our helper, is hovering over His workmanship. He's hovering over your life. And and He's going to continue that work. And I was trying to think of how to illustrate this, but I, I, let me go back to my Scripture. I want to read this Scripture. Let me read two, two uh, parables. I love the parables of the kingdom because they're they're, they're actually saying, God is saying, listen, I got nothing. It's kind of like, you know, if you were a, an aboriginal in the middle of the jungle in New Guinea and you'd never seen anything other than a grass hut to live in, and somebody was trying to explain to you what an elevator is, uh, where would they get the language, right? How could you equate your reality with their reality? It's, it's very, very hard to find a language. Similarly, heaven is so concrete, so beautiful, so wonderful, and so dynamic in so many ways. There was nothing on earth quite like. And so the parables are the kingdom of God is like, as if, da-da-da-da-da. And so I love these things, and here's two that I want to touch on. He said, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden, and it grew and became a large tree, And the birds of the air nested in its branches. Now, I want you to think about this. You've probably heard a a few sermons on that over the course of your 10, 15, 20 years of being a Christian, if you've been a Christian that long, right? See, that doesn't seem that mysterious. But consider for a second the Pharisees. Consider for a second the Israelites and living in their life. And Jesus is coming, and what they have is the law of Moses and saying, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. God is awesome and fearful. And this guy comes along and says, this is what heaven is like. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a mustard seed. What? Yeah, it's like a mustard seed that you put in the ground, and it becomes this big thing. It's like, how is the kingdom of God like that? Like, did God start like a mustard seed? You know, is heaven, is heaven a mustard seed? And inside, we, just get, it's, we shrink to amazing small sizes to fit into it? Like, I mean, if you look at that analogy from a natural standpoint, it absolutely makes no sense at all. Why? Because 
when he's sharing an idea like that, he's actually giving you one dimension, one dimension of the kingdom of God. And the dimension of this is he's talking about the process, the sequence of events that happen when the kingdom of God comes into your life. He's saying, listen, the kingdom of heaven that I'm introducing you today, it's, it's a seed that comes into your life, that you are, uh, you are many things in terms of your, your, human, your human condition. Remember, Adam was made out of the dirt of the earth. So, so you are this parcel of dirt, and the dirt is different colors and has different things growing out of it. But he says, he says the kingdom of heaven is as God would take this other seed, this magnificent seed that, that in itself seems like nothing. But he takes it and he puts it into the soil of your heart. And that thing, at the beginning, you, you may feel... Remember when you were born again? You're like, wow, oh, hallelujah, God is so great. All that was was a tiny little seed. It hasn't even begun to grow yet. It hasn't really occupied hardly any of the ground of your life. But he's saying, listen, this seed will conquer everything. This seed is going to grow and develop and, be, and send off branches and shoots until it occupies more and more and more and more of your life. And that's what God is doing in you. That's not the part I wanted to look at. But this is, this is what God is doing in you. He's saying, listen, I, I put that seed inside of you. I remember when I was a young Christian, I went to Christ for the Nations, and I, was, I, was, I, I, I want to be a great man of God. What do you mean a great man of God? You, you hardly even got one little green shoot sticking out of the ground of your heart. And you want to be Superman? It's like, uh, like, it's impossible. You can't be that right now. That thing has to grow. And when it grows, it produces fruit. And the fruit it produces is all the behaviors that are uh, a part of being that thing, that dynamic son of God that overcomes the world. But you know what? There's a process. But we don't like the process. The process is humiliating. The process makes us feel like we're less. If anybody's ahead of us, then we're behind. And I hate being behind. I'm a little bit competitive sometimes. And so I, I hate losing. We hate losing us, some of us. And so the idea that we're behind. So I became a Christian. I think, you know, what are the definitions of a great man of God? Well, you pray in this fashion for this amount of time. Well, hallelujah, that's me. So I'm doing that, except it's not fueled by a reality of transformation. What is it fueled by? A vague hope, an ambition, a desire not to look bad. A competitive need to be first, be head and shoulders above others. And God's like, yeah, that's not so good. But I can deal with that through the process. But here's the thing, and this is where our faith, and I I pray that God would just really illuminate this. When you became born again, God took a divine seed, man, a divine seed. He, he took a piece of himself and he put it inside of you. And he said, listen, you just need to guard that seed. You just need to watch over that seed. You need to just water that seed. You need to come before the Son of God and let the rays of, that, of his love shine upon that seed. And it is going to come up and it is going to be a massive structure that provides shelter for even the birds of the air. So, my, my issue is this, though, is like, 
What is this thing that makes me want to portray myself to be further ahead than I actually am? And how many... How, many, how much of the effort I put into portraying myself to be further than I am actually obscures the growth and hinders the growth of the actual seed? I remember when I was a young Christian, I just started preaching, and I, I had this picture of, well, it's something like this. This is a really nice plant, right? Except that it's not. That's a beautiful plant, except that it's, it's artificial, and there's no life in it. And it's not going to grow, and it's not going to produce more like it. It has, doesn't have the capacity. In fact, if I take something like this, and I put it at the center of my spiritual life, and I put it on the planting of the Lord, if I artificially fabricate behaviors that are not native to the planting of the Lord, what am I doing? I'm, I'm actually hiding the, the version of this, and all for what? All for what? Because, because all around me, there's, there's this competitive nature, you know, race, and I'm trying to be as great as the people around me. Except, what if that's them too? Then you've got a whole building full of artificial plants, and we're wondering, why aren't we multiplying? Why aren't we growing? Why aren't the, why are we producing you know beautiful juicy apples and peaches like you know somebody go to the store get some peaches and put it in our put it in our artificial plant so the mystery of god at work is god christ in you the hope of glory he said listen i all the things about your nature are not necessarily changed as soon as you get born again but uh, I have patience like any farmer that, who plants a seed that it's going to take time for that seed to come to full, mature growth. Oh, hallelujah. But do I believe in the power of that seed at work inside of me? Or am I more concerned about what others might think I'm not? To the point where I have to throw in a few extra leaves, a few extra fake things, to fit in. And this comes back, comes back to kind of the core of this thing. God is dealing with fear in our life. Fear. Fear. You know, pride works with fear in this sense. That pride, pride is the belief that you can be something your fears tell you you're not. And pride in a, it causes you to Try to be something in order to mitigate for what you're not. To pretend to be something you're not. And yet, it's all counterintuitive to the kingdom of God because God says the truth will set you free. I remember, you know, when I was first starting into this and I thought I, you know, I really love the truth. But I remember, and I was really in good shape back then. I was at Christ of the Nations. I probably weighed 150 pounds or something like that. Well, we were, some of those young guys were talking, and, and I, had, I used to lift a lot of weights and work out and do sports, and I wasn't doing that, so I was feeling a little bit flabby, but I was still, like, tiny, you know, and still quite in shape. But, you know, my body posture was such that my, my butt would often stick out a bit and my stomach would stick out a bit. And, but, you know, when I thought about it, I'd stop, pull my stomach in. Anybody ever do that? <laughs> you know, and so, but we were, I was talking with some guys, and, 
And so, and we were talking about our posture. And I said, yeah, usually I stand like this. And I sucked it in. And the other guy says, uh, actually, no. No, you're, the other way is how you usually stand. I mean, you know, you, you feel this sting. I couldn't call him a liar. But it was like it's a mirror in front of me. And I didn't like the mirror. What I liked is the idea that I had about how I looked. How many of you have ever had a, a video replay of you golfing? You realize, man, my swing is not what I imagined it to be. The fact that you imagine yourself to be something inside your mind does not change what the whole world sees. And if the whole world or the people around you that love you are already loving you, why are you fighting so hard for an idea of something you're not when you're accepted for what you are? Because we're not fully resting in the fact that we're loved. We're not fully accepting the fact that it's okay to be mid-process. We hate imperfection. And that's... We hate the idea that we're less. And the hatred of that, the fear of that, drives us to be something we're not. Except when we give into that, it causes us to create something that's not real, that actually retards the growth of what is real. All the while setting aside the primary truth of the kingdom of God, that what I began in you, I will finish if you nurture it. And so God is doing this thing, and I, I know it's complicated, but, and I'm praying he does it here. I'm praying he does it here, because if, if you knew how much you were loved, and I'm not just talking about God who's in heaven. Well, yeah, God loves me. It's the people. No, I'm serious. I I've often have these moments where people are around me, and they feel intimidated, or they feel like I think something about them, you know, about their failure or about their weakness or about something that I don't think. I actually, I mean, it doesn't mean I don't notice. I just, it's not a horror to me. You know, like for me, when that guy said, you stand like this, that was a horror to me, but it wasn't to him. That didn't change his friendship with me. That's, he already knew that. He wasn't shocked by it. Only me was shocked. Only you are shocked to discover what you're not. And God is saying, listen, what if I could create a family where we're not competing with one another, where we're not fearing being less, or, you know, where that's not the thing that drives us and compels us to do what we think is right even. What if we could create a family that where we were so comfortable, not comfortable that we didn't need to change, but comfortable knowing that this too could change, but where that we're still loved. This is the family of God that God is trying to create, but it begins with... Do we even love ourselves? Because if you hate a certain kind of imperfection in yourself when you see it in others, that's, that's what you have a problem with. But what I'm realizing for me is every time that God deals with my fear, he removes from me the inability to love somebody because perfect love casts out fear. When fear is gone, love comes in. When fear is broken... It releases love. So, Father, I pray that he who began a good thing in you, he is, he is hovering over that word to perform it. Think about that. Whatever, and, and I'm praying that we'll get this in a way that will allow us to let these false leaves drop to the ground, that we can just be 
what God is making us to be. We can be in communion and fellowship because sometimes we draw away from fellowship because we don't really want to be seen. We fear being exposed. We fear being seen as right. We, we feel... Anyway, so God is trying to release us from that. So I pray today that we'll have such confidence in the thing that God began. Mm. Such confidence that will add nothing to it, nothing of the flesh, nothing born of fear, nothing born of pride, nothing born of competition or ambition. So, Father, I pray huh, that the kingdom of God would just begin to emerge in our lives in the seamless fashion you meant it to be, that we are your garden. And, Lord, that you have made room in this garden for that word, and it's producing. So we say, Lord, let the nature of God come forth. One more scripture. In First Peter, it says that, that God has given to you all things that are necessary for life and godliness. And he says something odd. I'm trying to remember if I can actually articulate the words. He said, he said that we, so that we could be partakers of the divine nature. What God wants you to have is the divine nature. Sacrilege. No. We are meant to be made in his image. He ordained us to be made in his image. The divine nature doesn't mean we are God, but we are like God. He wants to give you his attributes. Love is an attribute of God. And God says, love one another. The, the attributes of the divine nature are meant to be in yours. Because God is saying, listen, I'm going to fill the earth with people that look like Jesus, against whom there's no weapon that can beat them, against whom there's no law, against whom there's no, uh, no device that can halt them. Now, in the meantime, we are venturing, sometimes being halted. But when we're halted, say, okay, God, in what way am I not conformed to the overcoming nature of Christ? Change that. So, Father, we, uh, we just give you this time. We thank you, Lord, that that which you begin in us, you will continue. Lord, that you put a seed inside of us. And uh, you are making us like yourself. And so we, we say, Lord, pour in the oil and the wine, pour in the sunshine, pour in the water, whatever imagery we want to use. But, Lord, make us like Jesus. We trust the workmanship of God. Now, you might be here today and you might not be a Christian. Maybe you're just exploring. Maybe you don't know who God is. Maybe, maybe you're here and you prayed a prayer once, but you're not really sure if heaven is real and it hasn't gotten more real and you're wondering, oh, maybe, maybe there's something missing in my faith. Well, there's no magic formula that will accomplish that. But there is a heart response to God that just says, Lord, I want more of you. Lord, I want more of you. God, I want more of you. So if that's you, I just want you to say in your heart, God, I believe that you are. I believe that you love me. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for me and that Jesus died and rose from the grave. I believe this. Now, Lord, send the word into my heart that makes me like you. Amen.